Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Moving targets of terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, moving targets of terrorism. It seems like so many people are so filled with hate these days that they are almost indiscriminately targeting this hate towards all kinds of different people. It almost doesn't seem as though it matters who the targets are anymore, just as long as they can explode something, shoot something, kill people, injure people, that's the goal. I'm going to talk to you today about three incidents that happened during this past week that um, proved my point. And yes, indeed, um, it is getting, <laughs> it's getting um, scary, it's getting um, you know, it's not making any sense anymore. When things don't make sense, they're even scarier than when they do and they're still violent. So I'll give you, uh, I'll start with the, a terrorist, uh, in fact, the leader of ISIS, who um, is targeting the same normal target that terrorists have targeted and that we uh, classically, that they classically still are targeting and that is non-believers. So I'm talking about the ISIS leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And what, why he's in the news this week is because uh, he just put out an 18-minute video rallying his troops. And again, his target is the same target it's always been and will likely always still be until he is captured. He is the world's most wanted man the U.S. has a $25 million um, prize on his head, and I am pretty sure he is going to keep going after non-believers. Now, his video, uh, when, his, he, when he put out his video this week, um, it was uh, reported as his having more PR advisors than a Hollywood actor. And that's because they were making the point that things in the video may have looked um, just casual, but everything was there for a reason. And people in the video were seated in a certain place for a reason. Uh, everything, you know, was, was um, it was as if a top publicist had um, directed the whole thing. Now, he, uh, this is the first time he's been seen in five years. And he, um, the last time, or the first, the last time, which was the first time, was in 2014, when he gave a sermon from Mosul declaring the caliphate and declaring that it was ruled by him. So it seems fitting that he now appears five years later when the caliphate, the land, has been destroyed. All but destroyed, essentially destroyed. And um, he is the leader who, has, who took over in 2010 uh, after the assassination of Abu Omar al-Baghdadi. 
Um, he, in his video, in this newly released video, it shows him chatting casually to his commanders. And um, he is looking as though he is um, giving them instructions. He is um, making plans, to planning strategies, battle plans, and so on. And um, it, of course, is not a coincidence that he is appearing in this video today since, or this week, because, um, because of the fact that he appeared first when the caliphate started, and of course, you know, he was all excited to announce it, especially announcing himself as the leader, and now with the caliphate all but destroyed. Um, when people, you know, in, in previous shows, I talked about how um, as the forces were closing in on the last uh, part of the caliphate and ISIS was making its last stand, um, there were people walking out, you know, surrendering, or, but still um, expressing allegiance to ISIS, but being forced out of this last shred of land. And a lot of these people were saying, um, and certainly were thinking, where is Baghdadi? He was our leader. He's how the reason we got here, came here in the first place. This was going to be um, the center of ISIS's stronghold that was going to grow over the world. And so where is he? You know, here we are. Uh, many of us are dead. The rest of us are limping out of here, starving. So where is he? Where's what he promised? So this video is meant to be proof that he's still alive, number one because there have been lots of close calls where uh, the U.S. and allied troops have almost caught him, or so the reports go. And not only did, they, did he want to prove that he was still alive, but also to prove that he was still um, very much involved in making plans to take over the West, um, if not the world. So, as I said, it shows him making battle plans and strategies, and the message is, this scripted, um, crafted message, publicity, is that he is still in control and that he's not in a cave hiding. So uh, he's 48 years old. Um, you know, he, of course, as I said, he has a bounty on his head. But when you think about how it took 10 years to catch Osama bin Laden and... Um, you know, it's uh, not surprising that it is that he is, has still not been caught. Caught, although in 2016 that was when he made a mistake, and the U.S. was very close to capturing him and killing him. He made the mistake of making a 45-second radio call, exhorting his fighters to keep on fighting um, in the caliphate, and this call was intercepted by electronic eavesdropping. But by the time they sort of got their act together to try to bomb him there or some otherwise capture him there, um, he already had disappeared. Okay, so there we have it. This is sort of straightforward Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Of course, he is trying to kill non-believers. Um, non-believers in radical Islam, of course. Now, what else do we have? Um, there have been the churches, of course, 
that have been attacked. Um, you know, people purposely targeting churches, Notre Dame, Sri Lanka on Easter, Notre Dame at the beginning of the Easter week, Holy Week, um, and then St. Patrick's Day right after Notre Dame. Now, in Sri Lanka, that attack, and you can hear more about that in a previous show, uh, I talk about the attack on Sri Lanka. Um, also, the the Sri Lanka attack on Easter was supposed to be retribution for the New Zealand attack on mosques. However, um, it didn't just happen right after, you know, all, all of a sudden because of this New Zealand attack, uh, because actually at the attack on Sri Lanka, on churches um, in Sri Lanka and, and very um, expensive hotels had been planned for seven or eight years. Now, did the New Zealand attack perhaps uh, make them decide to set it off then? Maybe, but really um, even more significant was the fact that it was on Easter Day. Then we have the man in Sunnyvale, California that I also talked about on a previous show who did a ramming attack. And as it turned out, as I suspected and mentioned in my previous show, um, he was he was trying to, it wasn't just, uh, he didn't just pick this group coincidentally, although it was an impulsive attack, but he thought he was um, ramming a group of Muslims, a family of Muslims or people who he thought were Muslim. So that was who, you know, he was after. Um, then, of course, now the two others that happened this past week that I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the show uh, are the attack on a synagogue in Poway, California, by a man who, of course, was targeting Jews, but he had already made an arson attempt on a mosque. So he was sort of an equal opportunity hater. Then I'm also going to talk to you about Mark Stephen Domingo um, from Reseda, California, who had a plot to, he wanted to um, perpetrate an attack even bigger than the Las Vegas attack, but he had a whole bunch of different targets in mind. Um, he, was, he was deciding between a cra crowds such as those on the Santa Monica Pier, the military, a base, or police, or Christians, or Jews going to synagogue, or the far right. <laughs> Talk about being an equal opportunity hater. Well, we'll talk about these two men, these two attacks, or one attack and one almost attack, because uh, Mark Domingo's plot was foiled when we come back, so stay tuned. Welcome back. Today we're talking about moving targets of terrorism. The fact that there are so many haters, it, uh, you know, there's really an epidemic of haters, and what's, what's really sad is that uh, so many of them uh, are influenced by ones that went before. There seems to be right now a cluster of haters um, all together, you know, in a, in a very short period of time. And um, that either is because of the confluence of, of the holidays, like um, Easter and Easter week um, and, and Passover, you know, those things bring out when, it's, when the targets are religious targets, um, bring out those kinds of people. But I think there is also just a general increase and um, 
you know, people saying that an attack is retribution for the New Zealand attack, for example, or just using that as an excuse as a way to express their hate. You know, time to, time, time to express their hate. So I'm going to talk to you about, um, first of all, the, um, a 26-year-old named Mark Stephen Domingo, who was arrested on April 26th. Then I'll talk to you about the Poway uh, synagogue attack that was on April 27th. Um, so Mark Stephen Domingo, he was born and lived in Reseda, California. Now, Reseda, California is in the San Fernando Valley. You know, maybe you've seen some movies like Valley Girl and all that. Kind of like um, one of the least uh, places that you would expect to uh, have a terrorist grow. And um, he isn't a typical terrorist, though, not unlike uh, Abu <laughs> um, Bakr al-Baghdadi. Um, he wasn't against, he wasn't targeting non-believers, non-believers in radical Islam. Uh, well, I mean, some of them actually were non-believers, but that's not why he was picking them. Um, he is he's an interesting guy, uh, a very mixed up guy. He was, he's a, a U.S. born man of Filipino descent. He was an army veteran who converted to Islam. And he also claimed that his uh, plan, his plot that was intercepted, was going to be retribution for New Zealand. But it really, it started um, his, his trajectory towards the, his arrest when the plot was, um, and when he had developed the plot enough to be arrested, actually took longer than that. Now, um, he, as I was, as I said before the break, he, you know, thought about a whole bunch of different people, kinds of people to target, whether it would just be crowds on the Santa Monica Pier, or the, a military base, or police, or Christians, or Jews. He was talking about uh, targeting a Jew going, walking to synagogue, or the far right. So he was arrested on April 26 for suspicion of plotting a terror attack. And it was this day because that was when he received a package from an FBI undercover agent. Now, he thought that this package contained a live bomb, but uh, it was actually an inert uh, IED that um, this undercover agent had, you know, disguised as a real bomb, as a live bomb. And he had been tra trailing him, the undercover agent, had been in conversations with him uh, for months. It all started when uh, Mark Stephen Domingo started writing things online about how he wanted to um, be uh, a martyr for ISIS and commit jihad. And he, it actually started on March 3rd when he wrote, uh, America needs another Vegas event. Uh, because that would weaken, and this is quote, weaken America by giving them a taste of the terrorism they gladly spread all over the world. 
So this clue um, was what caught the attention of an FBI informant who then began a conversation with him and uh, began a relationship. In mid-March, he posted um, that he wants to, to do killings for the March 14th New Zealand attack. And that was when, again, that was really the main thing that caught the FBI informant's attention and put that put him under constant surveillance. Now, this uh, very in-depth, I mean, I must say one thing we can all feel good about <laughs> is that in numerous uh, things that I've talked about on the Terrorist Therapist Show, I have given examples of plots that were stopped by FBI informants and agents because um, they usually, it's typically they would catch them online and get them involved in a relationship with them so that the uh, wannabe terrorist trusts them and then uh, asks for their help and feels like they are in this together. In fact, uh, in this case, Mark Stephen Domingo was calling this FBI informant his brother. And so he, they ask for help and, and, um, and they share their plans for how they're gonna commit mayhem and all of that. Now, of course, the attorneys for these people whose plots have been uh, caught, um, one of their main arguments, defenses, is entrapment. They try to claim, the lawyers for these men, try to claim that um, they would not really have perpetrated an attack, but that they were encouraged um, by the FBI informants, these people who form relationships with them, and that that's why they went as far as they did, because it was really um, part of this relationship. They were two guys plotting this thing together, or sometimes it's three guys. So, um, um, now, the reason why the, they, this FBI informant and others often get the person, the wannabe terrorist, to change their plan from guns to IEDs, because this is to get them to postpone actually carrying out the plan. Because, um, and this guy, for example, uh, Mark Stephen Domingo, had rifles and guns, and um, he, um, and so he was, he could have at any time uh, actually gone out somewhere and started shooting. So the FBI agent was trying to uh, delay this by, you know, keeping him, keeping him um, chatting. <laughs> and so, um, yes, this Mark Domingo was boasting of owning weapons, this is online and, and in conversation with the FBI agent, boasted of co owning weapons and that he had 80 pounds of nails that were gonna become the shrapnel for this bomb. And he said that the nails were long enough to penetrate the human body and puncture internal organs. So, you know, that is rather sadistic and sick. Um, he said that he wanted to commit, quote, mass casualties, unquote, whether that be by shootings or bombings. Now, his history is super interesting. Um, he was in, he was an army veteran, as I said. He was in the army from uh, September 12th 
to January, no, September 2012 to January 2013. And this included four months in Afghanistan. And um, after he came back from Afghanistan, he was kicked out of the army because he had a violent clash in Afghanistan. First he was demoted and then he was kicked out um, before his enlistment contract was over and he didn't receive an honorable discharge. He was kicked out one month after he returned. Now, so far they're keeping it kind of hush-hush what he actually did in Afghanistan other than we know it was violent. And he was consumed by hate. He wanted to get revenge for the, or so he said, for the New Zealand um, killing of Muslims in the mosques. Well, again, though, as I've told you before, there were so many various targets that he was thinking of. It wasn't just for the killing of the Muslims in the New Zealand attack. And then he had a girlfriend who's now an ex-girlfriend. They were girlfriend and boyfriend for a year. And um, she said that he had converted to Islam, that he went to prayers every Friday night. Um, she thought it was two months ago, but apparently, according to the um, leader of the Islamic Center of Reseda, he, he was there for, he started coming there three months ago. So now she was um, connecting it to the fact that two months ago, she had a miscarriage with his baby and that um, he was going to the mosque to help him cope with his uh, being devastated about her miscarriage. She said that he was a really good man, you know, the, the family and girlfriends and all these people, you know, they're all very good men, right? Uh, she talked about how he would care for a stray cat. She said he wasn't happy with his time in the military, and he was now frustrated with his job in sales for a security service. He was living with his brother and his grandmother in Reseda, and his brother said that he hoped that the Islam... Um, that join becoming converting to Islam would give him guidance. Well, I'll continue with this, uh, finishing up the story about Mark Stephen Domingo when we come back, and I will tell you about um, the man who was the shooter, perpetrated an attack at the Poway Synagogue shooting. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Today we're talking about how people who have hate in their heart are going after moving targets to perpetrate terrorist attacks. It's like the flavor of the day. You heard how um, this man who I was just talking about, Mark Stephen Domingo, had thought about uh, attacking all kinds of groups of people. And um, in the end, he s settled on attacking a far-right group that was supposed to have a rally in Long Beach. They were called the United Patriots National Front. And um, he was working with this uh, FBI agent and another man uh, connected to the FBI agent. And they were supposedly helping him to um, create a bomb that was going to be like the bomb that was used in the Boston Marathon. Now, as I said before, in the end, 
Um, they, of course, didn't give him a real bomb. Uh, they gave him something that's supposed to look like a real bomb, but and that he thought was a real bomb uh, that he was going to use in this attack, but that was really an inert IED. So he settled on this rally of this far-right group in Long Beach, but it turned out that that <laughs> rally was canceled um, for unknown reasons or reasons that were um, probably not related to this man's planned attack because they arrested him before he got anywhere near this rally. Now, as I was telling you a little bit of, about his background, which was, um, you know, really interesting. He's, he's a man who cares for stray cats. He couldn't possibly be a terrorist, according to his ex-girlfriend, right? Um, but his violent clash in Afghanistan, which got him kicked out of the army, uh, is a clue that something was not right, at least by then. Um, or, or in, in that, at that time, you know, does he have PTSD because of his experience on the front lines uh, in the army? He, um, he went three months ago to the Islamic Center of Reseda and told them that he wanted to be converted to Islam. And they did the conversion of him three months ago. And the reason what they said... <laughs> This is really strange. They said that he that usually takes them longer to decide that they will convert somebody. But this man's story was rather interesting, and it got him got them to convert him sooner. Uh, they said that he told them that he had been anti-Islam, but now he wants to be um, convert to Islam because he saw the mistreatment of Muslims. Now, is he talking about? the war in Afghanistan, you know, <laughs> that, uh, yes, that certainly there were Muslims who were being attacked in our war in Afghanistan. Um, so did he want to go over to the other side? Is that, you know, is that what convinced them to convert him? We may know down the line, but for right now, all we, the main thing that we know is that he was stopped before he could, uh, carry out his desire for a mass attack bigger than the one that happened in Las Vegas. Now let me go on to the next person. So this was um, Mark Domingo was arrested on April 26th. And the next person I'm going to be talking about was carried, actually carried out an attack. Unfortunately, he wasn't stopped ahead of time. And his target was Jews and Muslims at two different times. <laughs> But he's an equal opportunity uh, terrorist or hater. Um, he, uh, John Ernest is his name. He's 19 years old. And he carried out a shooting attack on the Poway Synagogue in California, in Southern California. It's a Chabad. It's actually called the Chabad of Poway, and it's north of San Diego. Um, this date that he chose, April 27th, is the last day of Passover, and it was a Saturday, so there were 100 people inside this synagogue for the Sabbath. Not only, um, I mean, Saturday, there usually are services at synagogues for Sabbath, Saturday morning, but this was a special service, which he undoubtedly probably knew about, 
that it was going to be a longer service. Um, and it was, it was special in that it was going to last longer because it was relating to the last day of Passover and there was going to be a meal and so on. So it was, you know, so it certainly had more people there than a typical Saturday. This was an event that they were doing to mark the last day of Passover. And this date was also six months to the day after the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. So, you know, did he follow, um, did he, he's a, he's a smart guy, he was an honor student, um, so did he follow the, the path of ISIS in that um, he, you know, he picked uh, a day with significance and perhaps this particular temple, although it wasn't very far from where he lived, um, you know, was there, it's, a, it's, the Chabad is a particularly religious synagogue. So did he pick that one at that time for all these reasons? Probably. Now, fortunately, his gun jammed, and I think that was uh, God doing that. Um, his gun jammed, and so his attack only, right, caused one person to die, and it injured three people, including the rabbi, Rabbi Israel Goldstein. It, uh, he lost, the rabbi lost his finger. But the, a woman in the congregation, Lori Kay, 60 years old, who apparently was a, a really respected woman in the, in the congregation. Not only was she uh, a big donor, but she also volunteered her time a lot to the temple. And she was like one of the most revered, appreciated people in the temple. And she jumped in front of the rabbi to protect him, and she got killed. That is bravery. Um, this man, after he, after he left the temple when his uh, gun got jammed, he drove away, two mile, he got two miles away, and he stopped and he called 911. He wanted to be caught. Now, his story is that he was homeschooled until high school. His father was a physics teacher at his high school. Then he, he had been graduated from high school, and he was, at the time of this um, massacre, <laughs> the time of this attack, he was um, uh, in nursing school at Cal State San Marcos. Now, before the attack on the um, temple, he tried to set fire, not on the same day, um, a month or so before, he tried to set fire to a mosque. And that didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't catch fire, and um, but they and and they didn't um, have. They weren't able to catch him. They didn't. Uh, he wasn't on. If there was a video, he wasn't caught on video. They didn't. They didn't know who who started who tried to start that fire. So he wasn't caught for that. Um, John Ernest doesn't have any criminal history or didn't until now. He had been planning to uh, do a video live stream like the New Zealand terrorist did. Boy, this New Zealand terrorist uh, has spawned a lot of copycats, or at least people who are blaming their attack on him. John Ernest made an open letter. He wrote an open letter that came up on 8chan, uh, another online, uh, about an hour before his attack. 
He blamed the Jews for the genocide of the European race, and he blamed Jews for other things as well, which is kind of absurd because <laughs> Jews, there are European Jews, eh? Don't. Uh, lots of them, or there were lots before the Holocaust. Um, he cited Breton Tarrant, the New Zealand shooter, and his uh, killer in his, um, in his online rants. He also sh sh cited Robert Bowers, the Pittsburgh shooter, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter. Um, he, his, his arson attempt was in March uh, on an Escondido mosque. Now, he was raised in an Orthodox Presbyterian family. His family, his parents, are disavowing him, claiming they don't know how this could happen. Um, in fact, they said, how our son was attracted to such darkness is a terrifying mystery to us. Really, guys? Maybe you should have been figuring out, finding out, paying more attention to him, so it wouldn't be such a mystery. Now, he has five siblings um, in this religious Christian family, and, you know, that's a lot of kids to, take tr to keep track of, but, you know, <laughs> I think they should have been keeping better track of him. And, in fact, I think we need to start something where parents of of a, a, a terrorist, you know, radical Islamist terrorists, or any kind of haters who perpetrate terror kinds of attacks, whether it's school shooters or these kinds of attacks, like I'm talking about, um, parents, uh, particularly if the shooter or the, or the hater, the attacker, it's not just shooters, but the attacker, if the attacker is less than 21 years old, um, I think parents should be fined and put in jail. They should be arrested as well, and if the if the um, if their child is found guilty, they should pay a fine and be put in jail for a certain amount of time themselves. Maybe then parents will pay more attention to what their kids are doing. It's pretty sad that we would have to uh, threaten parents with those kinds of things in order to get them to pay attention to their kids. Um, so the parents are, you know, they're saying they're uh, they're saying he was raised with no hate in his life. Um, and they're not going to pay for his defense. Now, I'll bet, just watch this and see, I'll bet that they may change their tune because the death penalty is on the table. It's life without parole or the death penalty. And when it comes down to it, I mean, he'll probably plea. He'll probably make a plea deal. But when it comes down to it, I think they will uh, um, pay the defense when they start to realize that maybe their son will be executed. Perhaps not. Perhaps it's more important to them to be seen as people who have nothing to do <laughs> with this kind of thinking, this kind of hate. But we'll see. He was, just like the other um, hater was, you know, took care of stray cats. This uh, John Ernest was a pianist. He was an honor student. He was an athlete. He was quiet. Always a sign. <laughs> Always a sign of something lurking under the surface. And he was a nursing student. I mean, you know, he um, wanted to take care of people, help people. There, they have so far been, uh, it's been reported that he has been radicalized over the last two years. Um, because they're, What they mean is, you know, radicalized in terms of hate. Um, because, because before then, before two years ago, he had friends who were Jews and Blacks. Um, and he has said, John Ernest himself has said, if you told me even six months ago that I would do this, I would have been surprised. 
And and then he wrote on online just an hour before he, his attack. He wrote, "I'm just a normal dude who wanted to have a family, help and heal people, and play piano." He said he planned this attack for four weeks, and he said, "I'm a testament to the fact that literally anyone can do this." That is unfortunately very true. So what is the answer? You know, the antidote to radical Islamist hate is love. And the antidote to any hate that is popping up now against moving targets, the flavor of the month, uh, means that we need all the more love. Uh, it is really, I mean, how many more attacks on how many different kinds of targets do they have to be before we start taking this more seriously, folks, in terms of really, really making an effort to provide love, not just to your family and friends, but even to strangers, lost strangers. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carroll, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.